Prologue to the Life of Lazario de Tormes, His Fortunes and Adversities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. The Life of Lazario de Tormes, His Fortunes and Adversities. Author Unknown. Translated by Clements Markham. 1830-1916 Prologue I hold it to be good that such remarkable things as have happened to me, perhaps never before seen or heard of, should not be buried in the tomb of oblivion. It may be that someone who reads may find something that pleases him. For those who do not go very deep into the matter, there is a saying of Pliny, that there is no book so bad that it does not contain something that is good. Moreover, all tastes are not the same, and what one does not eat, another will. Thus we see things that are thought much of by some depreciated by others. Hence no circumstance ought to be omitted, how insignificant soever it may be. But all should be made known, especially as some fruit might be plucked from such a tree. If this were not so, very few would write at all, for it cannot be done without hard work. Authors do not wish to be recompensed with money, but by seeing that their work is known and read, and, if it contains anything that is worthy, that it is praised. On this point Tully says, Honor creates the arts. Think you that the soldier who is first on the ladder cares less for his life than the others? Certainly not. It is the desire for fame that leads him to seek such danger. It is the same in the arts and in letters. We say, the doctor preaches very well, and he is one who desires much the welfare of souls. But ask him whether he is much offended when they say, How wonderfully your reverence has done it. So also in arms. Men report how such an one has jousted wretchedly, and he has given his arms to a jester, because he praised him for using his lances so well. What would he have given if he had been told the truth? Now that all things go in this manner, I confess that I am not more righteous than my neighbors. I write in this rough style, and all who may find any pleasure in it will be satisfied to know that there lives a man who has met with such fortunes, encountered such dangers, and suffered such adversities. I beseech your honor that you will accept the poor service of one who would be richer if his power was equal to his desire. Well, your honor, this author writes what he writes and relates his story very fully. It seemed to him that he should not begin in the middle, but quite at the beginning, so that there might be a full notice of his personality, and also that those who inherit noble estates may consider how little fortune owes them, having been so very partial to them in its gifts, and how much more those have done who, not being so favored, have by force and management arrived at a good estate. Parentage of Lazaro and the Reason for His Surname Lazaro relates the way of his birth and tells whose son he is. Well, your honor must know before anything else that they call me Lazario de Tormes and that I am the son of Tome Gonzales and Antonio Perez, natives of Tejares, a village near Salamanca. My birth was in the river Tormes, for which reason I have the river for a surname, and it was in this manner. My father, whom God pardon, had charge of a flour mill, which was on the banks of that river. He was the miller there for over fifteen years, and my mother, being one night taken with me in the mill, she gave birth to me there. 
so that I may say with truth that I was born in the river. When I was a child of eight years old, they accused my father of certain misdeeds done to the sacks of those who came to have their corn ground. He was taken into custody and confessed and denied not, suffering persecution for justice's sake. So I trust in God that he is in glory, for the evangelist tells us that such are blessed. At that time there was a certain expedition against the Moors, and among the adventurers was my father, who was banished for the affair already mentioned. He went in the position of attendant on a knight who also went, and with his master like a loyal servant he ended his life. My widowed mother, finding herself without husband or home, determined to betake herself to the good things so as to be among them. So she went to live in the city. She hired a small house and was employed to prepare victuals for certain students. She also washed the clothes of the stable boys who had charge of the horses of the Comendador de la Magdalena. Thus she frequented the stables, she and a dark-colored man, who was one of those who had the care of the horses. They came to know each other. Sometimes he came to our house late and went away in the morning. At other times he came to the door in the daytime, with the excuse that he wanted to buy eggs and walked into the house. At first they did not like him, for I was afraid of his color and his ugly face. But when I saw that his coming was a sign of better living, I began to like him, for he always brought pieces of meat, bread, and in the winter fuel to warm us. This intercourse went on until one day my mother gave me a pretty little brown brother, whom I played with and helped to keep warm. I remember once that when my stepfather was fondling the child, it noticed that my mother and I were white and that he was not. It frightened the child who ran to my mother, pointing with its finger, and saying, Mother, he is ugly. To this he replied, laughing. But I noticed the words of my little brother, and though so young, I said to myself, How many there are in the world who run from others because they do not see themselves in them. It was our fate that the intimacy of the Zaida, for so they called my stepfather, came to the ears of the steward. On looking into the matter, he found that half the corn he gave out for the horses was stolen, also that the fuel, aprons, pillions, horse-claws, and blankets were missing, and that when nothing else was left, the horseshoes were taken. With all this, my mother was helped to bring up the child. We need not wonder at a priest or a friar when one robs the poor, and the other his female devotees, to help a friend such as himself, when the love of a poor stable lad brings him to this. All I have related was proved, because they cross-questioned me with threats, and being a child I answered and let out all I knew from fear, down to certain horseshoes, which by my mother's order I sold to a blacksmith. They flogged my unhappy stepfather, and put my mother on the accustomed penance as a punishment. An order was given that she was not to enter the stables of the Comendador, nor to receive the flogged Zaida in her house. The poor woman complied with the sentence that she might not lose all, and to avoid danger and silence evil tongues, she went away into service. She was employed in the open gallery of an inn, and so she contrived to rear the little brother, though suffering from many difficulties. She raised him until he could walk, and me until I was a fine little boy, who went for wine and lights for the guests and for anything else they wanted. End of Prologue Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.